You know, as we get started today, um, kind of in a strange way, I think it'd be uh, worthwhile to kind of make you all aware of something that I've become more increasingly aware of within myself over the past few uh, weeks and months. Um, and, and honestly, it didn't come to my attention until my brother was in town and he, he kind of caught uh, me in the midst of this. I, um, I've started talking to my plants <laughs> and naming them. So you have like Maggie Monstera, Fiddly Phoebe, and, and not just like talking to them, but like baby talk to my plants. Like this morning, I, I recently did, uh, this is like Ryan's plant corner for a moment. I recently did a cutting off of my Monstera Deliciosa. I love it. That's Maggie. Um, and Maggie has two little babies right now. Um, I was sitting at the kitchen table having breakfast this morning, and I noticed that my little Monstera cutting is now like growing its own. It's actually growing itself. And I literally, like, baby talk started to be like, oh, my gosh, you're so cute. And, and, like, the whole family's looking at me like, this is our dad's, our dad's lost it. You know, it was actually a, a couple weeks ago or months ago now, my brother was in town visiting, and I was up in the morning before him, and he's, you know, sleeping on the couch while he was visiting. And he, like, pulled his phone out, and he caught me, like, walking and watering the plants in the morning and, like, baby talking to them. And then he sent them to the whole family. And um, so there's definitely a problem. But as, as I've, I've noticed myself doing this, it actually led me to start asking questions of like, why do we personify things? Or the really fancy word is anthropomorphism. Uh, you can say that 10 times fast. But anthropomorphism is where we give non-human things uh, or objects a, a human uh, personality or a human name. We, we almost treat them in a little bit of a way like they are human. I mean, we do this with our pets we do this with cars, my first car, Ronzo, instruments, cameras. For those of you that, you know, you work a lot within your computer, you know, your computer takes on, you know, you name the hard drive or something like that. Uh, ships, you think about old, you know, pirate ships out in the day or the Millennium Falcon. You know, she, she may not look like much, but she's got it where it counts. Or even all the way to like uh, a Wilson, you know, with a castaway, a volleyball that takes on a, a personhood for itself. We even do this in science textbooks where we talk about how air hates to be crowded, and so it will go to the place where there's less pressure, and that's how we you know, get wind. But air doesn't hate anything. It doesn't hate to be crowded. It's, it's air. It doesn't, it doesn't hate anything, but we use this language all of the time. We even do this within our emotions. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, Inside Out by Pixar, right? Where we get the inside of this little girl Riley's head, and she's got anger and disgust, and they're all these little human uh, portraits. Even some of us do that ourselves. I know this week I was talking to uh, Rachel, who's a part of our church, that uh, like me can tend to have like, you know, we all have those, that, that rage, that anger that comes out. And uh, Rachel decided that she would name this kind of persona, this part of her, Rachel. And uh, <laughs> so we all do this. But the question is why, right? Why do we, why? That's really strange that we as humans run around and we give emotions and names to things that don't have them. Psychologists theorize that our personification practice is the sign of a healthily working social intelligence. We do it if we have a healthy social working intelligence. How so? Well, you and I, we are relational beings. And as we grow up, those things which are most important to us are our relationships with other humans, our parents, our siblings, grandma, mentors, right? Our, our larger community. Those are the most important things to us and the things that we find the deepest root of our identity within. 
is in relationship to that. And so as a non-person thing or pet or car becomes really important to us and becomes almost part of what it means to be me, we can't help but personify them because that's how we relate to things that are most important and most crucial to our identity. Psychologists also place this as being where we find unhealthy social intelligence, when we don't personify non-human things, but we objectivize humans. We actually turn humans into objects or animals. You see, there's the reversal of how our psyche works. So I'm actually not crazy. I'm actually, I've got a healthy social intelligence. And my personification of my plants grew alongside them, as they went from decor to truly being like a source of joy and, and excitement, a hobby. And part of being a hobby is a part of who Ryan is. I, I couldn't help but personify them. Now, what in the world does this have to do with Proverbs and the way of wisdom? Today, what we're going to be looking at is we're finding how the book of Proverbs brings this, this big shift in the way that it's going to be talking about wisdom Quite literally, for the next six chapters, all the way up to Proverbs chapter 9, this personification is going to be a major point of how it's instructing and teaching us. So what we're going to do is, why don't you join me in standing? We're going to read Proverbs chapter 3 and into chapter 4 today. As always, for those of you that are able, in standing, we do this as a way of, uh, with our bodies, like raising our hands in worship or kneeling in prayer, identifying that what we're reading is, is something different than anything else that we come into contact with, and it's the Word of God. So I'm going to read this. As we do, why don't you see if you can spot the personification, and then we'll uh, unpack all of this today. Sound good? All right, let's read this together. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, says... Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. Yes, she is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open. The clouds dropped down the dew. My son, don't lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be your life for your soul and an adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot won't stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. All the young parents said amen. Do not be afraid of the sudden terror. You won't be afraid of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and he will keep your foot from being caught. Don't withhold good from those to whom it's due when it is in your power to do it. Don't say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it when you have it right there with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor. They dwell trustingly beside you. Don't contend with a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. And do not envy the person of violence. Don't choose any of their ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, and he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. 
The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Don't forget my, take, my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words and keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her, she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the path of a brightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered and if you run, you won't stumble. Keep a hold of instruction and do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep until they've done something wrong. Yeah, they're robbed of sleep unless they have made someone else stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness. They feast with the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. On the other hand, the way of the wicked is like a deep darkness, and they do not know over what they stumble. And so, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight, and keep them with your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing for all of their flesh. Yes, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from your heart flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let's pray. And so, Father, we thank you for Proverbs uh, and your word at large and how it continues to instruct and encourage and invite us into a new way of life. We pray that today, Proverbs 3 and 4 would do just that. Would you speak through me? Uh, God, give me uh, an attentive um, heart to your spirit and what you're inviting us to hear today. God, if there's anything apart from uh, my teaching or anything instead of what I've prepared, that you would lead us in just that. God, guide our community into what it means to be these sort of people. Amen. Well, go ahead and be seated. Well, hopefully you were paying attention and you caught it. The personification that we're talking about is this personification of wisdom, and specifically wisdom as a woman. And all the ladies said, wisdom in the Bible is personified as a lady. All throughout, we find that wisdom is related to as she or her. We are told to love and honor and embrace, and she, wisdom, will honor, protect, and love us. Why do the authors of Proverbs do this? Well, if we go back to personification theory, it may in fact be that they are trying to get you and I to think differently about wisdom. 
to move beyond wisdom and being a wise person to be whether or not I make good decisions or bad mistakes, but to place wisdom at a place of great importance and crucial and central to our identity. What it means to be me is my pursuit of wisdom. And so this personification actually started back in chapter 1, you might have remembered, but now it's going to become prominent, not just today, but in the weeks to come, literally over the next six chapters, all the way to chapter 9. This personification is actually a story that it's telling with characters, and it's inviting us into. And so because this is where we're going to be over the next month, today I wanted to give it a brief overview of where the chapters develop all the way to chapter 9, a little bit of a map so we can situate ourselves in the story. You'll see this behind me. So the uh, uh, protagonist of the story of Proverbs is depicted as a young man. He's got his whole life in front of him with endless possibilities. And you, male or female, whoever you are, are invited to kind of place yourself in his shoes, the protagonist through whom the shoes that you're walking in. And as he has these endless possibilities, in the first two chapters, he comes into contact with two different women, two attractive women. In chapter one, we found wisdom depicted as this woman who was out on the town and she was calling out and inviting all young and simple men, hi, that's me, that's you, to find life with her. And yet she also held a very stern warning for anyone that rejected her. Then in chapter two, we're out on the town and we come into contact with another woman. And she, just like wisdom, is out on the town and she's calling out and inviting young, simple men like you and me as we're meant to think of ourselves to come to her. And yet she is seductive and she's enticing. And we find out by what we see that she doesn't lead to life like Lady Wisdom, but she leads to death. In chapters three and four, where we are today, it's as if, you know, young guy, he's got his whole life in front of him. Dad, our wise father, sits us down, you know, and he says, okay, bud, we gotta have a talk. And he sits down and gives us his counsel and his recommendation for what we do with our lives. And five times we saw, and here it's repeated, get wisdom. Next week, over three chapters, I don't know how I'm going to preach this one. Start praying for me now. The wise father continues his advice, moving not to a recommendation of wisdom, but a warning of that second woman, who we'll see is wisdom's opposite, folly, foolishness personified. Then in chapter 8, we move on, we take dad's advice, and we go on what we could call our first date with Lady Wisdom. We move from no longer just hearing about wisdom out in the town or dad's recommendation of her. Chapter 8 is literally wisdom sitting down at the dinner table and telling us all about herself. And then there at chapter 9, we reach what we could call the season finale of an ancient Hebrew version of The Bachelor. It is a rose ceremony where you have Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom standing before you, and the question that's set before your life is, who are you going to choose? Lady Wisdom or Lady Folly? And for those who go with Lady Wisdom, the rest of the book opens up. Chapters 10 through 30, all of those little proverbs that we've been reading as a community throughout our days, are then, okay, this is what happily ever after looks like with Wisdom. Now, this is, it's, it's silly, but it's, this is what's, this is, seriously, this is what's going on within these nine chapters is, is kind of, it's telling a story. It's not just giving blanket kind of statements or poems. It's actually bringing together a story that's hoping to get you to think about your life in a new way. Like I said, beyond just good decisions and bad mistakes, a, a romance, a desire, my heart being affected by some one of two people, things, wisdom or foolishness. 
And so back to today, in chapters three through four, the wise father sits us down. This is not gonna be an arranged marriage, but he's gonna highly recommend wisdom. He's gonna sit down and tell us all about her because he wants to highly recommend, hey, she is worth your time. To make this more modern, we could say that Proverbs three through four is you out to dinner with some friends. And they start telling you all about this, this guy or this gal that maybe you've, you know of, you've seen him around, but you, don't, you haven't really gotten to know him. And your friends begin to detail all about them. Oh, they're incredible. They're so generous. They're so handsome. Like, how could you not? So are you going to ask her out? Are you going to, can we give him your number? This is, this is kind of what chapters three and four are doing, or to make it more and more modern. Uh, chapters three and four, this is wisdom's dating profile. <laughs> That she's put together the, the base like essentials of who she is, the profile picture, what she's all about. The whole point is getting you to, to swipe right. And I Googled it. That's the right way. <laughs> I had to look it up. So let's get into the father's recommendation to uh, Wisdom's uh, dating profile. All throughout this passage today, there's a lot of repetition going on. You probably caught that. The embrace, hold fast. The, you know, there's a lot of this repetition. But we could roughly uh, break it down into six points of praise. You'll see this behind me of uh, what the father details about her. Lots of repetition. This is Ryan's best swing at getting it down, and I could only get it down to six. So to give you one big one that you remember for your week, the father's recommendation, wisdom is an absolute catch. In the beginning and the end of the passage, three and at the end of four, he begins, the father says, by wisdom is incomparable. She is, you can't compare her with anything else. He opens with this double talking about the blessed person, the happy person is the one who finds her. And that she is, it's incredible, I keep coming back to verse 15, nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. I can desire a lot of things. And Proverbs says, wisdom exceeds all of it. She's incomparable. She will bring you long life, it says, riches, honor, a pleasant and peaceful life. But, but even if she doesn't, like we talked about last week, if all of those benefits aren't found, even still, she is worth more than any of those things. She's greater than them. How can this be that she is so incomparable? Well, it tells us in verse 18, her address, she lives in the Garden of Eden. She is a tree of life. Wisdom, notice like the layers of poetry here, that wisdom is a lady, is a tree, is life, and the tree of life is a poetic depiction of, of the presence of God. Wisdom is a tree, like there's a couple layers there that we need to kind of do some like, you know, chart it out to see what's going on here. But the whole point being that finding wisdom is finding in some way a way back to that garden of Eden ideal. That life with God's presence of abundance and influence and fruitfulness of peace and, and life. She is incomparable because, as Danny Rojas would say, wisdom is life. She is incomparable to anything else that you might find. He continues in verse 19 and 20. He says, she's distinguished wisdom. Or maybe you might know her by her nicknames, the dad says, you know, understanding or knowledge. But she's incredible. Her resume, she works in design and architecture and the construction business. You might know some of her work, he says in 19 and 20. You know, everything. <laughs> everything up there, everything down here. Like we talked about in week one, even the tabernacle, the temple, the Garden of Eden. That's her work. She built all of that. Well, well not just her, he says. She's really, really close with her boss. Um, you might have heard of him, God. They work incredibly close together, so close that she's actually the personification of his very nature, one of his attributes being that God is wise. 
you know, you as the son sitting there going, okay, well, one, okay, she's personification of, or the, of one of the attributes. I want to ask her more about that. And that's literally what on our first date we ask her about. Uh, so tell me more about this, you and, you and God thing. And literally chapter eight is her detailing how that, that plays out. But for the time being, she's, she's incredibly distinguished in her work. To know her back to the first week of Proverbs is to allow her to bring her expertise that you guys bring your lives and you build your lives together into a little garden of Eden, little temple, little dwelling place of God. So she's incomparable. She's distinguished. In verses 21 and 27, we saw that wisdom is fearless. Those who know her, they sleep sweetly. They have fearless nights. They have security. They don't stumble. They're they find in wisdom that she has the strength to protect you from any missteps, traps, or temptations. She's a, she's a strong woman. She knows how to fight. And so when you're, when you're with her, you just walk through town. You're not worried about anything because she is there to protect you. That's just another little thing for the ladies there. Notice the, the strength that's being given to this, this personification of wisdom as a woman. In verse 28 through 35, we find that not just is she fearless, she's just. Wisdom is just. The father says, don't let what other people have told you about wisdom mislead you. She doesn't live in some ivory tower with book smarts. She isn't purely committed to cerebral ideas about what the good life is. She's actually living it out. She is so down to earth in her focus that she is focused on what a just and righteous life looks like. In verses 27 and 28, the father tells us that wisdom helps the needy. In verses 29 and 30, she protects the innocent. In 31 and 32, she doesn't avoid getting entangled with unjust and violent, wicked people. She's just. She's, wisdom is not just, you see, some kind of knowledge about knowing out there what the good life is. It's actually bringing it out into your life, setting things right based on it. At the beginning then, as we move into chapter four, the father continues to say that, not just that I recommend her. Not just is this me, your father. He says, my, your, your grandpa, my father, recommended her to me as well. The metaphor breaks down a little bit here. It's like, wait a minute, you want me to date Meemaw? Like, what's going on? <laughs> the whole point of what's going on here, the father is saying she's established. Wisdom is not new to the scene. She has proven herself in this world. She is traditional in the best sense of the word, grounded in what's been proven as good and wise and faithful and true over the generations. Wisdom is no uh, South Beach diet. It's no Marie Kondo, like, you know, spark joy, this kind of new little way to, to tinker with your life and make it a little bit better. This is the deep rooted, grounded, historical, traditional that generations have found is the good way to live, and it's found in wisdom. And he ends in the end, in 4, 10 through 19, by saying she's beautiful. Man, she's, in, she's incredibly beautiful. She's captivating and attractive, specifically in comparison to foolishness and folly. You see, folly, which we'll talk about with her more in the weeks to come, she will slowly plunge you into darkness and ugliness and evil and wickedness and violence and like a frog in a pot by the time you realize what's going on it'll be too late wisdom on the other hand she will guide you into greater light and beauty wisdom will be like the sun rising bringing more life and more light the more that you know it more that you know her 
And with this beauty, what we find is that it's not just that she's a catch herself, but that in knowing wisdom, she'll make you more like her. You'll become a wise person, and all of these attributes will become more true of you as you follow after her. You want to become this sort of a person? You desire and want to find a life that's incomparable and distinguished and fearless and just and established and beautiful? The Father says, Lady Wisdom is exactly who you need to look for. Now, to have a little bit of fun for a moment here, in all of this, she's shockingly, shockingly like the woman depicted in Proverbs 31. The excellent wife, the woman of valor, as Dominic Hernandez calls it, the, the warrior woman is how he translated it, and I love that. Now, if you're unaware with Proverbs chapter 31, the final chapter of the book of Proverbs is this acrostic poem which describes the excellent woman. And most often translated as the excellent wife. And so Proverbs 31 then gets taken and utilized by all sorts of uh, devotionals and ministries to kind of set forward and use this as the portrait of the ideal woman. So if you're unaware, there's a little bit of it. You can read it this week. Now, well, undeniably, Proverbs 31 gives characteristics of and or the excellent woman. Many in reading this have seen this. Many moms in particular have read this and said this ideal is so astonishing is this actually presented for imitation? And with that, the question also is, why end the book of Proverbs this way? Have you ever read the book of Proverbs and you get to 31 and it's like, is this just God forgot to give us like Bible verses for Mother's Day? And so he's like, where do we put it? Uh, I guess Proverbs, that's the practical one. Just throw it on the end there. Why is, why is that the climactic finish of the book of Proverbs? If they've given so much attention to the story and the detailing and the way that they've composed it, this doesn't seem like it's a footnote or an add-on. And if this is the portrait of the excellent woman, where is the portrait of the excellent man? And if the excellent woman is married and has children, what about single women? And what about those who cannot or are without children? Where is our portrait of how to be an excellent person of valor? See, with Lady Wisdom behind us in 3 and 4, we're able to actually read Proverbs 31 in its context. And we're able to deconstruct church culture with the Bible. See this behind me. You'll see how this plays out. Um, it's incredible. And this is a selection. This could, I, I couldn't fit them all on the slide. How many connections? Proverbs 31 is bringing together all of these threads and frameworks about wisdom, lady wisdom, and bringing it all together at the end of the book as a reminder, one more time, this is what wisdom looks like. So we find that wisdom, the excellent woman, they are both difficult to find. They're both worth more than jewels. They both bring trust to the one who finds her. They both have a prophet that's better than silver. They both help the poor and simple. The one with wisdom is not afraid. Verse 21 says that the husband of the excellent woman is not afraid. Both prepare a house for the support of others. Both are called incomparable. Wisdom, this one might feel like a stretch, but it's totally there. Wisdom in Greek is the word Sophia. Hi. <laughs> Lady Wisdom, it's you. Um, and uh, in, in Hebrew, in, uh, in, in, towards the end of chapter 31, it says, it uses this really weird word for watches over her house. That makes no sense in the context, but the Hebrew word sounds like the Greek word for wisdom. And then even more than that, all throughout Proverbs, we found that wisdom is, begins with the fear of the Lord. In verse 30, it says, our translations have, a woman who fears the Lord is greatly to uh, be honored and praised. Uh, a more accurate Hebrew rendering is quite literally a woman who is the fear of the Lord. 
So before you throw out your devotionals and retcon your Mother's Day cards, this is absolutely true for wives and true for mothers, especially easy to see because the personification, the poetic metaphor make it so blatant before us. Back on the 31st of last month, I was reading through it and I texted Aaron a selection of verses on here where I'm like, that's totally you. Like, so don't, you know, call mom and like, I take it back. Like, that's not you, <laughs> like on Mother's Day. This has regularly been used to, to celebrate when mothers and wives are living within wisdom, not held as a rule over their head to live into. Do you, do you hear that, the difference there? When you get there, that's awesome, but this is not you're a failure of a mother and a wife if you're not here. Similarly, uh, many Jewish families throughout history have used Proverbs 31 as part of their Sabbath prayers. At the end of the week, they take a moment to celebrate mom. And so what I'm trying to offer here is that this is not instead of thinking about wives and mothers, but actually within. That the excellent woman in Proverbs 31, this person who is full of activity and industry, compassion and creativity and vitality and faith, serves as the culmination of the book of Proverbs because it's the book in concrete form. It's a poetic example of anyone who pursues wisdom and becomes wise in the process. It is a poetic depiction for all who find wisdom. Which goes back to the Father's recommendation. We read this, we see this, we see what we've seen, and it becomes clear once again that wisdom is an absolute catch. Who would read over that list and go, you know, I'm okay? But she's hard to find. So back to three and four, it's okay, wisdom's hard to find. She, she sounds incredible, Dad. She sounds amazing. What, what do I do? Chapter 4, verses 5, and then again in verse 7, you have in those two verses, five times the same word is repeated, get wisdom. Get whatever you get, get wisdom. Now, this word's really fun because the word get, when it's used about something, can be used in the sense of getting or acquiring something. But when it gets used throughout the Old Testament in relationship to a person, it's regularly used as the word to marry. And so the father says five times, marry wisdom, marry wisdom, get wisdom. Verse eight, love wisdom, highly prize wisdom, cherish wisdom. Set her as the, the focus of your heart. Practically, verse five tells us what this looks like. It points us back to what we've seen over the past two weeks, that to get wisdom, though she's hard to find, comes as we do not forget wisdom. We do not turn away from my words. That this wisdom is found as we place ourselves in close proximity to God's word and in relationship with other wise people committed to living in wise ways. So you want to find wisdom? What's your relationship? Are you prizing? Are you loving? Are you committing yourself to scripture? Are you loving? Are you prizing? Are you committing yourself to placing yourself in a community of people that are speaking into your life? So discipleship group is one of the primary ways we do this within our church. As part of our larger rhythm of being integrated in our Bible study, we're marrying together that wise community and our celebration of God's word because that's where we believe wisdom is found. Not you reading it by yourself, but also not you and your friends getting together just to talk, but allowing scripture to punch up against and putting ourselves with other people who might be able to see things in ourselves that we don't. This is how we marry wisdom. The metaphor deepens even more in verse 8 where the father crawls for his son to embrace her. This goes back to verse 18 of chapter 3 where he says, lay hold of and hold fast to her. Explicitly, 
This is, this is sexual language. This is Genesis chapter 2 that Adam held fast to his wife and they became one flesh. The Father calls, Proverbs calls for us to give ourselves in a whole self, bonding, covenant, pleasing, joyful union to wisdom. Which is exactly what's depicted at the end of chapter 4. In verses 20 through 27. Our call to give all of our uh, body, our ears, our eyes, our tongue, our feet, but especially our heart in this one flesh wisdom. That I now belong to wisdom and wisdom belongs to me. Whereas the Song of Solomon, another uh, book of wisdom in the scriptures puts it, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. I, there is not one part of me that is not apart from wisdom that wisdom doesn't have a voice into. And there's not one part of wisdom that's not for me. But I receive all of it and I, and I give myself to all of wisdom. Now the question is, where do we find wisdom today? Yes, in scripture and, and yes, and in wise community. But at a deeper level, how do we marry? How do we embrace wisdom like this? 2,000 years ago, there's this little movement that, uh, well, very quickly took over the world that started with this group who worshiped the resurrected Jesus Christ as God become human, or as they said, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, the embodied wisdom of God, that Jesus is the wisdom and power of God. So throughout the early writings of the church, they held this strong belief that Lady Wisdom in Proverbs was a figurative depiction of God the Son, of Jesus. So this is not that Lady Wisdom was in fact some actual spiritual being that, that you know, Jesus became, but that this personification and what we see detailed within Proverbs 3 and then uh, 4 and in 8 and in 9 is, is actually a depiction of, of who Jesus is in his fullness. That wisdom, like the law or like Moses or like all of the Old Testament, as Colossians and Hebrews says, that wisdom was a shadow, Lady Wisdom is a shadow of the good things to come, but their true form, their substance belongs to Christ. So what does this mean? In Lady Wisdom... In Proverbs 3 through 4, in Proverbs 31, we are given the poetic shadow of the fullness and fulfillment of who Jesus is. So what does this mean? That Jesus is incomparable in the life that he brings. And specifically, a life that wisdom itself could not bring by itself. A wisdom that was brought through him not just being the tree of life, but by being life to us as he himself went to the tree of death, as he went to the cross. The very thing that seemed like foolishness to the world, that God would die for you and for me, is in fact the very wisdom of God. He's incomparable in the life that he brings you and me. Even more than that, he's distinguished in his divinity. That more than just being like wisdom, one attribute of God personified, that Jesus is the fullness of God become human. He's distinguished, he's different than anything else that you can find in this world. Jesus is fearless, and he brings fearlessness to his people, that as we walk with him, we walk with wisdom, that what is true here of, of sweet sleep and not being worried that God in Jesus will guide us in wisdom, and more than that, he's fearless in his resurrection power, that because he didn't just die for us, but he rose for us, we now have this hope that no matter what, I can sleep, I don't have to be afraid. Wisdom, Jesus is with me and guiding me and for me. Jesus too, as the fulfillment of wisdom, is just. 
in both his life and in his law, we find him set forward that the, the key thing for him, the calling, the fundamental focus and concern was after knowing him that you would love your neighbor as yourself, that you would become so concerned with loving your needy, protecting the vulnerable, avoiding and distancing yourself from wicked and violence. And Jesus is established, established not just throughout history, but over history, that he is the Lord who rules over all, and he is not no new thing, but he is the firm foundation for those. And that has been testified by the generations of people that have found Jesus as established and trustworthy. And Jesus is also just like wisdom because he is wisdom. He's beautiful. With a beauty that's dawning out into our lives and into our world that each day, the more and more that we find ourselves walking with him, that amid this world of folly and darkness and evil and violence and brokenness, that the life and the light and the beauty and the goodness and the justice of Jesus is dawning within us as well. So as with wisdom, when Jesus draws near to us and we draw near to him by faith, we find ourselves within this community that's called the church, who Ephesians and Revelation call his bride. So we marry Jesus, we marry wisdom, and what is true of him becomes true of us. As we give Jesus the preeminent place of importance, of our identity, of our lives, and all of our bodies. And so here is, here is the major thing as we move into a time of response. Wherever your life has brought you, whatever you have been through over this past week, This sort of life and this sort of person is available to you through Jesus and in Jesus. More than just wisdom personified, poetically embodied. God and all of his wisdom incarnate in a person who wants to know you, who loves you, and actually has given himself for you. And the invitation for each one of us is either to to walk down the aisle or to stay committed which is where we'll pick up next week. Let's pray for today.